0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, the worship pastor. And I'm excited to be with you uh, down here, not up here. (laughs) It's always a privilege to bring God's word. And uh, it's really fun for me and a, a high honor. So it's good to be together this morning and do that. We're continuing on in our series this morning, Holy Spirit. And if you remember last week, Brandon did a phenomenal job as usual, answering a question for us. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? And he went through a a couple points. I'll just kind of give us a recap real quick so we're all on the same page. The first is that he talked about how the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, this mystery that God is three parts, but holy, each of those parts. Uh, And often the Holy Spirit is overlooked or at least a little bit neglected, maybe undervalued. He made a funny joke about how often church calls the Trinity the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, right? (laughs) Uh, He also talked about how the Holy Spirit is fully God and worthy of our worship, primarily because of what he does and how he benefits us. And we're going to talk about that more today. And then also he talked about how uh, the strength of our faith is highly dependent upon the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Amen. And I hopefully you had time to pray this week and, and get into the word as he called us to last week. But one thing that stood out to me, and it'll be a little bit of a platform for us to, to jump into this morning. He said that the spirit was sent for our benefit. Remember that? Sent for my benefit, for our benefit. In fact, he he pulled a passage out of Joel two twenty eight, and it says basically that I will pour out my spirit on all people, a pouring out a, a blessing. And then also in John 16, 7, which we'll dive into deeper today, says that the spirit is for our good. It's for your good that I leave and I will send him to you. Just to give that a little bit of a frame in Acts 1, 8, it says that we will receive power. They would receive power when we have the spirit upon us for this, to be witnesses. Does that sound familiar to you? a job that maybe God has given us. Maybe, I don't know, at the end of the book of Matthew. It's the Great Commission. It's like our purpose as Christians to spread the gospel and to make disciples. So if you can't tell, I'm pretty excited to talk about this this morning. But before we get into it, I have a very important question for all of you in here. By raise of hands, how many of you would consider yourself to be a DIYer? Just raise your hand nice and proud if if that's something you... If you don't know what DIY stands for, you're probably not a a DIYer. No, I'm just kidding. It's do-it-yourself, right? You like to do things yourself. Raise your hands nice and high. Okay, a good amount. Awesome. I love—I'm raising my hand because I also am a DIYer, self-proclaimed. I love doing things on my own, Uh, whether it's around the house. I try to lean away from cars because I've had some bad experiences, which will come up later. (laughs) <laughs> but whether it's, you know, like a, a, a remodel in your bathroom or redoing your floors or trim or paint or whatever, you know, there's, there's something about doing it yourself that just, it's awesome. And there's industries built all around this concept of doing things yourself. So for me as a DIY, there's a couple reasons I think that I like to do things myself. On a basic level, I love to create things, whether it's with wood or with paint I'm I'm more skilled at certain things than others and I know my lane. So like if I do have something that I want done well um, and I'm not very good at it, I either seek out help or I get a professional to come and do it. Again, I've learned my lesson. (laughs) Uh, Another thing is that I love custom things. You know, I can't stand a space on the wall where it's like, ooh, I'd really love to put a coat rack there and then going on Amazon or going to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever and everything, like you end up sacrificing what you truly want for what's available, I remember one time we bought this table and we had to repaint it and re sand it, and I ended up like cutting it down. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why, why didn't I just build this myself? It's ridiculous. So, I like custom stuff, I like it to be my style. I also love, and maybe, maybe this is you, you love the challenge, right? You love the challenge of looking at something like, I, I bet I could make that. It's like the whole premise of Pinterest, right? Like you see a Pinterest uh, item and it's like, man, I know, I know that I can make that. I know that my wife can make that or my husband can make that or I can make that. And so we, we go and we, and we love to take on this challenge. There's another piece to this that maybe I'll get some more head nods on. I just like to save money, right? If I can do something and, and put uh, a lot of blood sometimes, unfortunately, uh, sweat and tears into a project, I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna, I'm gonna save some money. So uh, we love to do projects. How many of you that raise your hands, sometimes your project turns out like this? It just looks a little <laughs> a little less than desirable. Oh man, this is a scene from one of my favorite uh, shows, The Office, and, and they're, you know, they're having a party at their house and Michael Scott brings them through the room and he's like, yeah, I, I built this table. <laughs> no matter what the work, we have pride in our work, right? It's like, yeah, I put those screws in there and... Oh, man, so funny. And sometimes these projects go well, and all of these things are accomplished, right? You, you face the challenge, and you succeed. I had a friend who put in a, a paver patio, and uh, I was a little skeptical, because I, I worked landscaping for a long time, and paver patios are, like, one of the worst things to do on your own. They're just really difficult, and if you lay one brick wrong, then all of them start moving, and before you know it, the whole thing is ruined, and then you have to pull a contractor out there anyway. But man, we did a really good job and saved tens of thousands of dollars, which is pretty cool. Uh, another project that I did, this was a, a while ago, uh, I had a friend who said, "'Hey, will you help me uh, install a turbo on my truck?' I was like, "'Well, uh, I don't even know like, like "'how to hook up a battery, so <laughs> I'll, I'll try to help you.'" And we put this turbo in and it was too big for his truck. It was a whole thing. And he ended up blowing it up. <laughs> it was back in high school, which is pretty typical, right? Um, but no matter what the project, DIYers and go-getters, we want to get stuff done on this premise of like more saving and more doing. Have you guys heard that before? Maybe you've seen this, right? I'm, I swear I'm not trying to plug Home Depot this morning. Uh, I, love, I love all hardware stores equally. <laughs> maybe this is your motto, or maybe this is more your motto. <laughs> i was google searching logos and i'm like oh my gosh this is so great anybody ever n- nailed themselves to something just want to know okay that's good maybe you've nailed yourself i don't i don't know. I, I almost took the tip of my finger off a couple of weeks ago and i had to glue it back on you guys ever done that oh gosh anyway i digress okay So this DIY attitude is awesome. I love DIYers. I love people that like seek out challenge. I love uh, taking on challenges for myself and, and you know improving our houses, improving our automobiles, and saving money in the process. But here's the whole point: the DIY attitude works great for handy projects, but unfortunately sometimes there's carryover into our life, specifically our life in eternity. We take on this attitude of I can do everything myself including eternal, consequential things. So same people that raise your hand. I won't make you raise your hand again because, well, I'll raise my hand and I'll embarrass myself. See, DIYers typically have this tick in them where we don't receive help very well. Like we're in a project, and I don't know if it's because we're proud or like, man, I've committed so much time and effort to this. I want the glory. Or like we don't want to admit that we're wrong. And there's this sort of pride in our work of like, I did that. You know, a recent project that just went horribly wrong for me. It was actually a while ago, but uh, in Oregon City, we had this deck and there was a cutout for the window for the basement. And it was just like a death trap. I mean, it was like a four foot drop. And so I I wanted to cover it up, but I wanted to like, have a functional cover up. And so I built this bench over the, the hole. And that bench was probably more dangerous than the hole because like you thought you could sit on, but every time you sat on it or stood on it, it would move and like, oh, it was horrible. And my wife, you know, spouses are great for this. Um, my wife came out and she's like, hey, uh, is that is that done? <laughs> I was like, yeah, said, oh, okay. And so we just kind of, we just didn't look at it. We didn't talk about it. We didn't touch it. Uh, but I should have asked for help. I should have asked a craftsman to come over and kind of at least be like, yeah, that's structurally sound. I mean, it just, the thing was horrible. I wish I had a picture of it, but it's in that moment where maybe we're, maybe we're, uh, someone comes along and tells us, Hey, you need some help. We need to fix this. Or maybe you, you feel it in your gut anyway. Like, Ugh, it's not really going to work. It's that moment where we have a decision to make. And, and, uh, you know, if we're unaware of the problem, then that's a whole other situation. And we, and we fail, and then we become aware, and then we do it differently next time. And so, as this ties into the Holy Spirit this morning, um, if we're unaware, then we need help, then we believe it's unnecessary. But here's a, a really bold statement and a true statement just like the world needed Jesus, and still needs Jesus, by the way, the world needs the Holy Spirit's work as well. Jesus came incarnate in the flesh, was here walking on earth, helping people, guiding people, healing people. And as he left, he sent the helper. And so we need that helper just as much as we needed Jesus here on earth. Especially simply just to have awareness of how much help we actually need. So this morning, last week we talked about who the Holy Spirit is. And this week we're talking about what he does, specifically in the world that we live in. This advocate, this helper, remember that word paraclete? I don't know why, but I have this like uh, function in my brain where I always, I remember that word because it sounds like parakeet and parakeets are helpful. Parakeets aren't helpful. (laughs) It's one of those weird things. But our conversation today is about what he does. Actually, it's less about what he does and more about what he gives. And so if you're taking notes, uh, I would love to frame this for us and then we'll jump into our first point. The way that he gives is this. He gives, the Holy Spirit gives a conscience to the world, The Holy Spirit gives a conscience to the world. Two, the Holy Spirit gives guidance. And third, the Holy Spirit gives us an unwavering hope. An unwavering hope. So let's jump in. The Holy Spirit gives a conscience to the world. Now, the most important thing that I want you to hear this morning, and I'll say it multiple times this morning, is this. The Holy Spirit helps most, by helping us become aware of our need for a savior. Just like the law functioned under Moses, it's not the end. The end is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit brings about an awareness through multiple functions that we need a savior. So this word conscience is interesting. It basically just means to know together, that something is amiss or something is awry. Just to have an awareness. A great example of this is Adam and Eve. They were aware after their wrong deed that they were naked. Remember, and they put clothing on and then they hid. And you know, God asked, "How did you know that you were naked? Who told you were naked?" Uh, so it's interesting because it seems as though God has created this piece of us that can distinguish right from wrong. We have this conscience, and it's by God's design. Now let's jump into John 16, verse seven through eight. And it says this, "'Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. "'It is to your advantage that I go away. "'For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. "'But if I go, I will send him to you. "'And when he comes, he will convict the world "'concerning sin and righteousness and judgment.'" These don't sound like fun things, but they are, I promise you. <laughs> because remember, they greatly benefit us. So have you ever had a moment where you were strongly convicted about something or you had uh, had that conscience, that, you know, that small voice in the back of your head come in? And it's like, okay, I'm going to pause for a second and think about this. Have you ever had that moment? We're predominantly adults in here, so you've probably had that moment thousands of times, right? And we've probably decided either on the the good side, you know, the right choice, the moral choice, or the wrong choice. Um, You know, my first recollection of a conscience, and I just, I don't have a very good memory, so I only go back so many years. Uh, I swear my wife remembers coming out of the womb, but I can only remember back to about six years old. And so this story takes place when I was six it was the end of woman's Bible study. I was uh, in tow with my mom, and it was, it was about that time in the morning uh, in the Bible study where it, it feels like mom is gonna talk for like days, right? You're like waiting in the wings, like, oh my goodness, like, mom, come on. And so we were in the youth room of the church that we were attending, and in this youth room, this is pretty awesome, there was a soda machine, like not a vending machine, like a straight up like fountain machine, kind of like Ace Hardware. There you go, there's another plug for a hardware store. <laughs> It was amazing. And like every kid in the church would like go in there and like look at it and really want it. But like we were all conflicted, you know. Uh, and so I was sitting there and I saw the soda and I knew that a 12-ounce uh, soda cost 50 cents. I didn't have any cash on me. I don't have any coin. I'm six years old, right? But I remember where I saw coin last. Any guesses? Mom's purse. That's right. It's like, it is a deep, dark hole of receipts and gum, but there's also money in there sometimes. And so I climb in there and I'm looking and I'm you know, making sure she can't see me. And I pull out $2 and I used all $2. You can do that. That's a lot of soda, right? And so uh, I, I convinced myself when I had uh, that moment, that conscience take of like, oh, you should probably ask mom. If and I was like, oh no, it's fine. Like I'm not stealing from the church, so it's okay. <laughs> so I, you know, I pay. And what's so funny is there was an honor system. There's just this little Dixie cup. You put the coins in there. Anyway, so I get the soda. I drink it all. And as we're driving home, I start to feel convicted as well as uh, really needing to go to the bathroom. Anyway, so I let it go for a while. And, and, you know, I feel the prompting of the Lord, like, you need to confess. You need to confess. And finally, man, it was just eating me up inside. Uh, I finally confessed a couple days later. And I was punished. And one of the greatest punishments is that I never got to drink another drop out of that fountain machine. It's awful. All my friends are enjoying it later. Oh, man. But it was in that moment of growth and conscience uh, that I realized—well, I I don't know if I realized it then, but I realize it now—that that uh, that conviction is what brought about growth. That conviction from the Spirit uh, to bring in awareness to my choices and my outcomes— now, conviction is another really interesting word. It's very legalistic, right? It's very judicial, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But this word conviction in the Greek is aloncho, which basically means to prove wrong about, to prove wrong about, to prove wrong in the context of this verse in John 16, to prove wrong about sin, to prove the world wrong about righteousness, to prove the world wrong about judgment, right? And he proved me wrong about my theft, to prove wrong about it, or to rewrite kind of how we view things. This word eloncho appears 17 times in the New Testament, and it's usually describing a moment when someone's sin is exposed to prove them wrong about their actions and the way that they view their behavior. We've all experienced this, feeling convicted and thank God, actually thank the Holy Spirit that we do, because this will bleed into our topics later, but it guides us, it gives us hope because it, it it guides us into where we're supposed to be in our walk with the Lord and in our relationship with the Lord. Now, something interesting about this concept of conviction, and I, this this was very interesting to me. So, the world in this context is uh, this word cosmos, okay, and it basically just describes kind of probably what you're already thinking, like uh, world views or world uh, systems as in values, beliefs, morals of humanity. And usually when this word is used, it's, it's used in contrast or opposition to God's will or God's way or God's values. And the interesting part is that the world, apart from Jesus, does not receive the Holy Spirit. And so that tells me that this conviction that the world will experience, this benefit of the Spirit in the world is ushered in by none other than you. By the church. Now, some of you might be getting excited, like, I knew it. I knew I'm supposed to convict people, right? No, that's not what this is saying. In fact, I want to be really clear, and this is probably one of the most important things that God can say to us this morning. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit will convict the world through how we let the Holy Spirit convict us. The Holy Spirit will convict the world through how we let the Holy Spirit convict us. Now, is that not convicting? Because how often have we been like, oh man, there they go, they're doing it again? That person's making a wrong choice. You know, this group is doing something crazy. But in your own life, you're stealing coins from your mom's purse. (laughs) That's a horrible example, but you get the point. What this is talking about is the way that we live our lives, the way that we let God help us through his Holy Spirit, be humbled through experiences, allowing us to make mistakes, but letting those mistakes transform the way that we live in the future. You better believe that I never thought twice about stealing from my mom again. Hallelujah, because my mom doesn't deserve that. (laughs) Also, uh, the way that we worship and the way that we're grateful. What a great week. Thanksgiving week to, to think about how we are, are per, portraying gratefulness. Are you a grateful person? Are you thankful for the circumstances in your life? Or are you this dark cloud that kind of just fits into society and gets in line with like a complaint, complaint, complaint? How, how are you worshiping with the way that you view your life and the way that you live your life? And at a very basic level, setting our minds on things above, being convinced time after time after time in experiences that this isn't worth the anguish that I'm putting into it. You know what is worth the anguish though? And and the the focus and the priority is things above, things that God cares about, things in his kingdom. So we convict through the way that we live our lives, but we also can convict through our words. And this is a scary one because we don't wanna go in sounding like a clanging gong, right? We don't wanna come in uh, unloving and, and judgmental. But in Mark chapter 13, verse 11, it says this, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. That's scary. The out, I don't know about you. I'm not like the most planned person, but I like to know, especially in a situation where maybe I'm on trial It's never happened to me, by the way. But if I were ever in a situation where I need to represent myself well or be represented well, I'd want to be planned out on what to say. Can you imagine? Just whatever comes to my mind and heart. Whew, that's tough. But here's the thing. We don't always need to speak, but when we do need to, he will prompt it and he will give you the words. It's pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I mentioned that these words are very judicial. They're very legalistic. Um, They really kind of reside in this, uh, this, this legal kind of courtroom setting. And here's something interesting to consider. In John, this judicial context sharpens the idea of conviction, especially through the lens of Jesus's life, trial, and death. The world accused Jesus and attempted to convict him of something but he could not be convicted and he could not be held by the traps of sin. Amen, hallelujah. So good. But now the world stands judged as they cannot judge the ways of God and the world stands accused in sin, righteousness, and judgment. Again, the benefit, he's coming to convict, to to prove wrong about these things to the world, to kind of rewrite it. And the thing is, we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Going back to the idea of like, I, don't, I didn't know that I needed help with my, my bench until my wife was a great voice piece of reason. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit helps us know through the conviction that we need Jesus. And the answer to sin, righteousness, and judgment is Jesus. So let's continue on in this passage in John 16, verse eight. And when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged these are these are great let's go through these real quick so proved wrong about sin proved wrong about sin And he says, they do not believe in me. I had to read these over and over and over again to understand what what Jesus was saying here. But this is pretty simple. Who has the power to forgive sin? God. Who had the power to forgive sin on this earth? Jesus, yes. Well, who has power over sin? Jesus, so when he says they do not believe in me, yes, okay. They don't know what they don't know and they don't know that he is the answer. It's no longer sacrifices of atonement. He was the sacrifice of atonement. They must know him in order to understand sin and more importantly, the forgiveness of sin. They're proved wrong about righteousness because I go to the father and I'm with them no longer. Who makes us righteous? Jesus Faith in Jesus, not by works. In Romans 3.22, it talks about how faith in Christ brings about righteousness and also brings about justification, another great legalistic term. And then in 4.3, Paul talks about Abraham and how him believing in God was proved to him as righteousness. Belief. I think there's such a strong... uh, Delineation between faith and works. Now, obviously, that gets a little bit muddied because we know that faith without works is dead. But listen, when we think that works alone will bring about righteousness, what is that called? Self righteousness and pride. Yes. Self righteousness because we're trying to bring it on ourselves. The last point here is that he will make it known that we're proved wrong about judgment. The ruler of this world. Satan is judged. The accuser, Satan, is judged. Here's the thing, and I'm speaking personal here, okay? And hopefully you resonate with this. I often either let myself judge myself, and I'm harsh, or I let other people judge myself. Even worse, sometimes I let the accuser, Satan, judge myself. And you know what I'm talking about, that voice that constantly puts you down, tells you you're worthless, tells you you can't do anything right, tells you you don't have a future, you don't have a hope, that you'll never amount to anything, right? He is proving us wrong on that. The Holy Spirit comes in, and by conviction and by guidance and by hope, brings us to a place where we realize we need Jesus, and through Jesus, we have justification, we have righteousness, we have forgiveness, we have redemption, we have everything we need proving us wrong about judgment. Last week, Brandon asked us if we pray to the Holy Spirit exclusively to come and to move and to to work in us. And so I just want us to take a moment. Go ahead and close your eyes if you feel comfortable. If you don't, just kind of zone out. Get focused. (laughs) Thank the Holy Spirit for giving you a conscience giving us a conscience to bring us to the realization that we need Jesus. Amen. Okay. Second thing that the Holy Spirit gives us is guidance. How many adventurers in here? Raise your hand nice and high if you love to go on adventures. It could be any kind of adventure. Maybe going to Baskin-Robbins is an adventure for you. I don't know. Anything out of the norm, something that makes you feel kind of like, you know, dangerous or maybe a little risky? Like, oh, man, I can't believe I didn't turn on my, you know, my Apple Maps to get there. You know, and you get a little lost. It feels crazy. I, I don't feel like we get lost anymore. We used to do this in college because we were super bored. We would just shut off the GPS and we just go get lost. We would waste a lot of gas. <laughs> but I love adventure. And I think it's because we have this piece of us that just kind of wants to feel like, like I said, like dangerous and out of control. Now, Any smart adventurer knows that there's a line and you need some instruments or tools to help you in your adventure. If you get past that line, you need something to to kind of bring you back to uh, at least a path home or uh, the right way to operate or do something, right? So this picture behind me is one of my favorite hikes. Does anybody know what mountain that is? Oh, Oregonians, it's Mount Hood. Now what's funny, is that that's the backside. It's kind of, they call it the dark side, okay? Uh, it's It's not the typical side that you see in like postcards, but this hike is amazing, but it's also amazingly hard. It's called the Mazama Trail. Some of the most uh, advanced mountaineers use it as a base camp because it's really difficult right off the bat. It's off a of Lolo Pass Road if you ever want to go up there, but please make sure you take an instrument, which is a map. So I'm going to talk about this map. So I've, I saw this hike a long time ago and I wanted to do it, and uh, I had a very small map. Well, with small maps, you don't get a whole lot of zoom. And so it, the trail just looked like a meandering line. Hey, I've, I can hike a line, right? And so I grabbed my buddy. It was June in Portland, and it was one of those hot days. So we left my house at like 11, first mistake. And we, we ended up on the trail at like 1. Well, right off the bat, it was about 15 degrees cooler than Portland. And how do you think we were dressed? We were dressed for summertime. So we had shorts and a t-shirt and nothing else. There a lot of mistakes that were made on that day. We got on the trail, and about a half a mile in— I noticed that uh, this this line was not straight um, on the map. It was because it was so small, but the line in actuality was uh, like 15, maybe 20 meter switchbacks for seven miles, 4,000 vertical feet in about three miles. It was crazy, and so we get to the top of the switchbacks, and it starts to snow. <laughs> and I look at my friend, I'm like, dude, okay, one, it's already four o'clock. Two, we are not dressed for success. Let's get out of here. So that was the first time I tried to hike Mazama Trail. The second time I tried to hike Mazama Trail uh, was equally as unsatisfying. Um, basically, uh I had it all planned out, and, and I even brought a stove this time. I was like, oh, coffee would be really nice at the top. You'll warm us up, whatever. Well, I brought the, the wrong adapter for the fuel, and so we almost started a forest fire up there. Oh, man. So I came back down. I should have seen the signs, right? I should have known that I needed, I needed some kind of, at least some kind of help to do this. Um, the next time we attempted to get to this viewpoint, once you get through the switchbacks, it opens up, but then it is Long, Like it's another like five miles. And again, we ran out of time. The fourth time that I failed, <laughs> oh man, this, it took me like five years to hike this thing. The fourth time I failed, I hiked with this guy that was fairly experienced and, and awesome and he was pushing me. Well, we came around this corner once we got to the top and it was, it was glacial, it was kind of snowy, but he knew what he was doing. Well, we come around the corner and there is blood everywhere. Uh, shocking, right? Like, it looked like a cherry snow cone. And we stop, and my buddy's like, we got to go. <laughs> and so we turned around. I was so close. We turn around, and we get back down. Anyway, long story short, we finally got to the top. And Josh uh, five, yeah, five years later. And it was awesome. But I did not feel awesome about my, my progression of failures because all I needed to do was get a better instrument. I I was using the same exact map I had from the very beginning until finally my buddy surprised me. He's like, oh, you want this map? And it was like this huge topographical map. It's like, yes, this is amazing. How would you get this? REI. I'm like, oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so as we think about these instruments in your adventures in life or as you journey through life, it's really important to ask some questions. And namely, the question I'd like to ask is, who gives the person authority? What gives the person authority that has created this instrument? You think about cartography and topography and all these map makers throughout history. Now it's kind of based off of GPS, so it's pretty accurate, unless you're a bozo like me and you just believe like a little printout. Um, but I would ask this Does this person who's creating this instrument or providing this help have firsthand knowledge? Have they walked the trail or have they sailed the ocean? Have they been before you and know what's ahead? If not firsthand knowledge, at least secondhand trust. A person that has, uh, you know, communication with or has uh, an intimate relationship with the person that has done that thing. Or at the very least, someone that has authority and experience. Now you see where I'm going with this. Who better than the Holy Spirit to guide us through the journey of life. Namely, walking in the Spirit, walking by the voice of God. Through all these trials and tribulations, through all the things that could cause us to fail, let's listen to that conscience and let's let him guide us. It's absurd to think that we can do this on our own, and it's sometimes absurd to to not question, is this good advice? Is this the voice of God or is this my own voice or is this the voice of, you know, my spouse or my best friend or my mentor? We need to ask, is it firsthand? And does this, does this plan actually have our benefit in mind? In John 16, it continues, verse 13 through 15. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. That's important. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's voice guides us, leads us into what? Into all truth. I want all truth, just like I wanted to know every nook and cranny of that trail so I could be successful. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a guide through life to show us every nook and cranny, or at least be there with us? That's the other benefit he's right there with us. Moments of doubt, moments of moral dilemma, moments of insecurity and fear, moments of needed clarity. We've never had those, right? We need the Holy Spirit's voice to guide us in those areas. Now what I love about the way that Jesus proclaims this is that he's not the Holy Spirit isn't coming as a separate entity. He's tied to the Father and the Son. Not just that, but he's he's speaking the words of his Father and he's glorifying the Son. Now here's why this is important. In 1 John 4, it says to test the spirits that are speaking to you. And there's one test. It's simple. If that spirit is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and that he has conquered death and that he is everything that he said he is, then it's of the Lord. And that's really important in this day and age. In John 14, 26, it continues and it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that is said. I love that. Because the Lord says a lot to us and if you're anything like me, I forget, like the next day. But if we really listen and we're walking by the Spirit, He'll remind us of those things. He's guiding us in purposeful life. He's guiding us how to testify to His name. Both spoken and lived as an example for people to know Jesus. In Luke twelve twelve. It says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say or what you ought to say. This is kind of the same thing that we we looked at earlier, but man, this is so hard. It's hard to let Him speak through us in that very hour. I'm speaking to you, and I'm not going to stand up here and act like I have all authority on Scripture. It's, it's a little nerve-wracking, to be honest. I was asked, this was awesome. I was asked to go and speak at a youth camp in North Carolina this last summer. A high honor for me. I would consider myself to be more a worship leader than a keynote speaker. And this camp was no joke. 400 high school students, huge budget, big, it was just big in every way. And my connection was a youth pastor friend of mine who kind of ran the spiritual side of things. Well, I arrived in North Carolina with my family. I was back and forth on taking my small children because that can be, uh, you know, extra difficult. But I wanted my family to be along with me. I just, it was just a feeling like I want us to do this together as a ministry. And so I prepped for months in advance. I had all my messages written about a month out because that's the type of camp. Like they wanted to know, they wanted to, they wanted to prep, which is awesome. But I arrived, and my usual, my buddy that's usually upbeat and excited, right off the bat, I could tell that something was wrong. I was like, hey, man, what's going on? And I guess the week before, the junior high camp was a complete fail. The speaker came in with his own agenda, was highly political um, to middle schoolers. (laughs) And so uh, the staff that serves that week, a lot of them repeat the next week. And so I instantly felt this immense amount of pressure, like, oh, man, I can't screw this up. And so we had a few days together before we went out to the camp and we finally came to a place where we realized we cannot let this spirit destroy what God wants to do next week. And so it was a few hours before I was to go on the first night. We all arrived at this amazing camp and I remember the moment I was walking to the pavilion by myself. My family was getting ready and I was going to go get a sound check, whatever. And the Lord just fell on me heavy. The spirit fell on me heavy and said, listen, I know you think you're ready, but you're not. But I am. So you pray until you go on that stage, and I will do the work. I have never been so exhausted by the time I hit the platform than that evening. One, it was North Carolina in June, or July. It was hot, Two, I had not stopped praying because I felt like that's what the Lord asked me to do. I hadn't looked at my notes. I hadn't considered what students I was talking to. (laughs) I arrived completely empty, which was perfect. So the first night went and the Spirit spoke and that set off a fire for the rest of the week. And not just from me speaking, but through experiences, conversations, appointments with students all week, And I could talk for hours up here about how amazing that week was. But I just want to talk about one kid. For the sake of my story and just to protect him, his name's Seth, okay? Um, this kid, I saw him the first night he came up to me. He was a super sweet, 15-year-old. He came up and he said, hey man, thank you so much for the message. It was great. Um, I, you know, I, I, I relate to a lot of what you, what you said in your story. I kind of talked through um, some struggles that I had had with depression and suicide that, that evening. I just let the Spirit go. It was really scary. So the second night we talked about uh, being, um, being free. Just being free in the Spirit and being uh, slaves to righteousness, as Paul wrote. And he came up to me after that message and he said, hey, like, for real, I feel like your story is my story. And the youth pastor side of me, that past piece of who I am, quickly engaged and I, I almost dismissed him as like, oh, like in my mind I was thinking like, oh, this kid struggled with suicide and, you know, had, had some issues. But I was silent because I felt like the spirit was saying, be quiet and listen. So I just, I didn't say a word, which felt very uncomfortable. And he said, I didn't want to tell you this. I'm going to try and get through this without crying. But he said, I was going to tell you this last night, uh, but I wanted to wait and see. He said, I was watching you play with your son today. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And he said, I believe that God brought you here and your whole family. Remember, I was kind of on the fence about bringing my family. He said, I believe that he brought your whole family here because I didn't struggle with depression and suicide. My dad did, and he didn't win. He took his life a year ago. But by watching you with your son, I now know, again, that God is a merciful God and that your son doesn't have to go through that. And that makes me feel strong. Oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? The Spirit appointed that. Can you imagine if I would have said no to my buddy back in December when I was like, oh, that's a big camp. I am totally out of practice talking to students. I don't want to—even even if I was like, I don't want to bring my family, it's going to be too difficult. Man, the Spirit guides us. And when we walk by the Spirit, these types of things happen. And it is, it is so exciting to see the Spirit move through our simple obedience and humility. Amen? The Holy Spirit gives guidance to our walk and to our talk. So let's let him do that. The last piece, and this just ties everything together, is that the Holy Spirit gives us unwavering hope. I'm going to be a little bold here and say, I think freedom, this word freedom has kind of been redefined and thrown around and watered down and meddled with the last two years and you know what's going on the last two years. Whether it's for political reasons or personal opinions or societal positions, freedom's taken on some interesting definitions. But is that the freedom that we want to most loudly proclaim as Christians? Rights that we have. Let's be real. Let's be really real right now. Any freedom that is emphasized or communicated as anything less than the forgiveness, justification, redemption, and righteousness we receive in Christ and Christ alone is not true freedom. Can I get an amen? Amen. Anything less than that is not freedom because what we're dealing with is eternal shackles. Eternal shackles. We have two choices. We can have shackles to sin and the destruction that comes with it, or we can have shackles to righteousness, as I mentioned earlier, as Paul writes. Sin or righteousness. Which one are you going to choose? Also, how are you going to know that you need to choose? When you can choose? How you can choose? That's the whole point of this morning. There is only one true freedom and one true hope, and it is found in the one true God illuminated by the one true Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came for our benefit, and that benefit is to point us to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us, and that you are for us, and that you benefit us with You, the Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that you guide us, you convict us, and you give us hope, and you rewrite the way that sin and righteousness and judgment operates with us. So Lord, as we worship you now, but also as as we leave, would you be with us and help us remember that you are for our benefit. Help us walk by your spirit and your spirit alone. Again, we are so thankful and grateful that we have you, Holy Spirit, to be with us and to benefit us. Bless us now as we worship and proclaim your name. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we worship the Lord together.